Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. You know, I realized, I don't know why exactly this happened, but toward in the last couple months, I feel like we have been really focusing on the animal kingdom. That wasn't by design. I guess we just can't stop with the things with legs and blood. Well, I think maybe what's happening is that we have, without realizing it, been constructing a manger, a nativity scene. Oh, okay. Uh, and, of course, you have to have your various animals present. And uh, and so we've been arranging the animal. Oh, and I guess others bearing gifts of, uh, of uh, nursery web spider style wrapped up packages of dead insect husks and <laughs> sticks and stuff. I don't know who the shepherds would be. Well— Whatever the shepherds are, we know that at the heart of the of the nativity, you have to have that uh, that baby Jesus. Uh-huh. And granted, we did an episode last year on the the baby Jesus homunculus, and that is rerunning this year. But uh, at the heart of this story of the the Christmas story in Christian traditions is the story of a virgin birth. Now, the story of a miraculous birth, of course, is very common in in mythology and legend around the world. A god being the father of a famous or heroic person is a very common motif to appear. Why settle for an earth dad when you can have a cosmic dad? Yeah, it's a it's it's a time tested story, right? You have your demigod heroes that are that that have a, have at least one parent that is of a divine lineage. Now, before we go any further, I do want to just summarize the Christmas story as it's presented in Christmas uh, Christian traditions, just really quickly here. So. 
It's probably familiar to a lot of you. You have a first century BCE woman by the name of Mary, and she finds out via angelic visitation that she's destined to become a first century CE mom. (laughs) And not in the way she'd planned. No, instead of producing offspring via relations with her husband, Joseph, she has been impregnated by the high God. She is a virgin, but will give birth to a divine son. Mm -hmm. And like you said, this is not a, an anomaly in global uh, myths, legends, and uh, religions. We have other stories of of some sort of miraculous birth taking place. Right. And what we wanted to focus on today was the fact that though this may in fact be uh, some form of miracle if it were to actually happen to a human being, in other corners of the natural world, stories like this are actually not all that miraculous. They in fact happen all the time. Right. So today we're going to be talking about Parthenogenesis, that is the, the, the scientific term for what's occurring here. It's taken from the Greek words uh, parthenos, meaning virgin, and genesis, meaning origin. So this means in the animal world uh, or in the world of sexually reproducing species, a female that reproduces without fertilization by male sex cells. Right. And it occurs pretty commonly among lower plants and invertebrate animals, particularly rotifers, aphids, ants, wasps, and bees. Uh, I do want to hit just two of my favorite examples uh, from the invertebrate invertebrate world. Uh, First of all, in the termite world, as pointed out in a 2009 research paper from North Carolina State University, certain female termite primary queens of the species Reticula termes separatus reproduce both sexually and asexually during their lifetime sexually with the male kings, and asexually to essentially clone themselves to create secondary queens. Mm -hmm. And these are the successor queens that will then mate with the king. So it's important for them to have no genes in common uh, with them. Okay. So that's just, I think, a fun example of, all right, well, here you you can clearly see in this picture why it is advantageous to use asexual reproduction uh, alongside sexual reproduction. Mm-hmm. Of course, the, the greatest benefit of sexual reproduction is that you get some variety in there. You don't yeah. have the, a stagnant gene pool. Right, sexual recombination. If you're just making copies of your own genes over and over again, it becomes much easier for, say, parasites to find exploits with your body. But if you're constantly randomly recombining your genes with other members of your species, then you add some diversity to the mix and give yourself more room to uh, more genetic wiggle room. It's kind of like, say Hollywood made the same movie for 10 years straight, like the same, say, superhero movie, just Uh the same one time after time. And it was a really tremendous design. Everyone loved it. But then suddenly everyone decides, you know, I'm not that into superhero movies anymore. Bam, an entire decade wasted. Right. That's a very loose <laughs> um, explanation. But but that's why you get the genre mix-up. Throw some zombies in yeah. there. No, now you got a whole new thing. Now it's fresh again. Yeah, and now people <laughs> will get into it. Uh, here's another example that I love. Uh, this is probably my absolute favorite. It's a, a particular type of Amazonian ant, Mycocepherus smithy, like Alan Smithy, speaking oh. of films. Uh, this is a fungi-growing species uh, that's not unlike the leafcutter ant. Mm-hmm. And they've actually given up on sexual reproduction altogether and have become an all-female species. Mm-hmm. It's a colony of clones, so they're a lot more efficient in some ways, but they're you know, highly vulnerable due to their lack of genetic diversity. But they're an example of a species that took a reproductive tactic that existed in balance with sexual reproduction and eventually made it their own means, uh, their only means of reproduction. 
Now, while this might be more common, and of course, uh, asexual reproduction is is the norm among, say, like single-celled organisms. Right. But while it may be more common among invertebrates and these sort of what are considered lower order animals, though I don't know if it really makes sense to consider them lower or higher. <laughs> what does lower or higher mean? But anyway, it, it is going to be more surprising to find something like this in vertebrates, which we normally would expect to be sexually reproducing animals. You've got a backbone. You should be having sex, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's why it's such a rarity. Roughly 70 backbone species have been known uh, to uh, engage in parthenogenesis or exhibit parthenogenesis. That's uh, roughly 0.1% of all vertebrates. Now, just a few basic categories of parthenogenesis before we move on to specific examples. Uh, there's accidental. This is spontaneous parthenogenesis. Uh, one of these, it's not part of the plan. Not part of the plan, but it does occur. And uh, one example we'll see of that later is, is in sharks. There's also facultative. Uh, this is when a female can produce offspring either sexually or via asexual reproduction. Um, this is a, a, a common example, but one that we'll look at here in a minute is Komodo dragons. And then there's obligate. Uh, this is exclusive asexual reproduction. That doesn't mean that a given species can't use sexual reproduction, but it's certainly not their primary means of reproduction. Uh, so, you know, think of uh, various invertebrates uh, as an example of this, including the ants that I mentioned yeah. earlier. Single-sex species. Yes, especially, especially single-sex species. Well, let's take a look at those Komodo dragons. Yeah. So the Komodo dragon, which is Varanus komodoensis, is, of course, the largest lizard species in the world. And, Robert, I don't know about you, but this was one of my favorite animals when I was a kid. I mm -hmm. could not get enough of them. I love pictures of them. I think I would actually, if I could get, like, a, a National Geographic with a picture of one, I would cut it out. I seem to have some memories of that. Oh, yeah, because it's a, really, it's the closest thing you can get to uh, to a storybook dinosaur. Like, not counting Kinda, in, yeah. not, not getting into, like, you know, the, the evolution of, of avian species and all that, but just in terms of, like, I want a giant lizard creature mm -hmm. like I see in my children's books, uh, this is the closest you're going to get. So, yeah, I remember being super into it. I remember being, like, weirdly excited when I think... Was it Kim, not Kim Basinger, Sharon Stone's husband was bitten by one? I just remember it being in oh, the... Oh, yeah, I think that's yeah. right. And yeah, not to make light of that, I mean, it, I'm thinking it now, it's probably horrific, but I remember at the time it was like, oh my goodness, the Komodo dragons are coming after our celebrities. <laughs> like there was something uh, weirdly exciting about that. And yet at the same what time... What if they get Richard Gere? <laughs> no, not Richard Gere. He's a national treasure. Uh, but... In terms of, uh, of seeing them in zoos, though, mm -hmm. this is one of those animals that is both impressive and boring to see in most zoos because it, it's a, it's a cold-blooded creature. It's, it's just going to be sitting there most of the time. Uh -huh. An impressive organism, but very little movement uh, un unless you're lucky. At the same time, there's, there's some tremendous footage of them in the wild. Uh, if, if you've watched any of the, uh, uh, the BBC Earth uh, documentaries, you've mm -hmm. seen some of this footage of, of the active Komodo dragon. And there's nothing, there's nothing more terrifying than watching them, say, move in on a, on a, a vulnerable uh, cow that is trapped in the mud. Have you ever watched them doing acrobatic barfing? Oh, they're quite. They are quite uh, adept at barfing, aren't they? Unbelievable barfing! Mm -hmm. Like there, I've seen footage of them barfing where it looks like they barf up more than their own body mass. <laughs> they are also. Uh, I remember one of the notable things about them is that uh, they will uh, sling intestines around. 
to remove the fecal matter from them so they can eat the intestines. Oh, okay. I don't think I've read that, but I think maybe I've heard you mention that before. Yeah, yeah. They're uh, they're voracious eaters. Uh, The the young Komodo dragons have to hide from the adults so they don't get eaten. I believe they climb trees, and of course the the, the grown-ups cannot really go after them. Yes, they can be quite aggressive even to one another. Uh, so th- this species, they, they live on a number of islands in Indonesia. And as adults, they get huge. They can grow up to about three meters or 10 feet in length. Actually, I think the uh, the largest one ever I read was even bigger than that. It was like 10.3 feet in length. And they can weigh over 130 kilograms or about 300 pounds. Again, I think I read that the biggest one ever measured was something like 360 pounds. Wow. They are venomous. They deliver a bite that prevents the prey's blood from clotting. Uh, however, they do not primarily hunt live prey but get the majority of their diet from scavenging dead or dying animals, though, of course, they do also hunt. Uh, and when they hunt live prey, those prey species can be all kinds of things, mainly deer. I think deer is the biggest one, mm-hmm. but also bovines, pigs, rodents, monkeys, goats. And they have on occasion, as we said, attacked and killed humans. But this does not make them our enemy. These are magnificent scaly beasts and they themselves are threatened uh, in conservation status terms. You know, like you got the – uh, the IUCN classifications, they are not yet considered endangered, but they are considered vulnerable. According to the WWF, uh, there are only about 6,000 left on Earth and only about 350 breeding females. Oh, wow. And for that reason, there are these conservation and captivity breeding efforts going on around the world. But so I want to tell a Komodo dragon story. In 2005, a female Komodo dragon named Sungai was living at the London Zoo. And that year, she produced a clutch of 22 eggs, four of which were viable. But there was a problem. It had been two and a half years since Sungai had been anywhere near a male Komodo dragon. So in order, in order to explain her laying these eggs, it would seem she either had to somehow store sperm from a male for over two years, which is – Technically possible sometimes in reptiles. There are Mm -hmm. uh, like sperm storage methods that sometimes happen. Uh, Or she had performed parthenogenesis. And her eggs hatched seven and a half months after she laid them and her offspring seemed healthy. Uh, In 2006, a female Komodo dragon named Flora was living at the Chester Zoo in the UK. And she was at the time one of only two sexually mature female Komodos in the whole continent of Europe – Uh, As I said, you know, many zoos around the world do these Komodo dragon breeding programs to try to help get the numbers back up. And at the time, Flora had not been breeding. In fact, she had never even once been kept in an enclosure with a male. Nevertheless, in 2006, she produced a clutch of 25 eggs and 11 seemed viable at first. So – what could explain this? I mean, you you have to wonder, was there like a male Komodo dragon <laughs> running loose in England, sec- secretly getting into the pens when nobody's watching? And if we do entertain that possibility, we, we have to name that English Komodo dragon. What was his name? Ooh, I don't know. An, a rogue English Komodo dragon. Uh, That'd be Rupert, right? Rupert, yeah, or maybe kind of – if he's kind of a Robin Hood type uh, figure, he could be a Komodo Hood Robin – I don't know. It's not Clive. Working. He's Clive. Clive is a good name, Okay, yes. so Clive – did Clive get in there or did something else happen? Turns out it was not Clive. Uh, so there was a paper published in Nature in 2006 by Watts, Booley, Sanderson, Boardman, Siofi, and Gibson called Parthenogenesis in Komodo Dragons. And the authors here 
performed genetic fingerprinting tests on the eggs of these dragons, and they found that in both cases the offspring were what are known as parthenogens, which are made entirely out of their own mother's DNA rather than through sexual recombination with a male. And in the case of Flora, this was true virgin birth. But in both cases, they had created baby Komodo dragons without the help of a male. So the authors note that the offspring were homozygous at all loci on, on their genome, but that they were not identical clones of their mothers. So how would that work? Well, you've got to think about what happens in sexual recombination of an animal like this. So the mother contributes half of her genome and the father contributes half of his genome and they combine to produce a mix of the two. And in this case, the mother still only contributed half of her genome – so in order to produce an entire genome in the offspring without any male input, the mother's half set of chromosomes simply doubled itself. So the offspring are not clones of the mother. They're homozygous at all loci. So everywhere you look on their genome, there's a double copy of the same allele, all made from half of the mother's genes. But so how does this happen? I, you know, I was wondering, what are the actual mechanics here? Uh, there's, a, there's a pretty good summary in a Scientific American article from the time by Philip Yam. Uh, and Yam writes, quote, Evidently, in the case of these Komodos, the doubling of the egg genes occurred when, in essence, another egg, rather than sperm, did the job of fertilization. Oogenesis, the biological process of making an egg cell, typically also yields a polar body a mini-ovum of sorts, containing a duplicate copy of egg DNA. Normally, this polar body shrivels up and disappears. In the case of the Komodos, though, polar bodies evidently acted as sperm and turned ova into embryos. So it's like the egg cell had a little copy of itself there with it that would normally shrivel up and go away, but instead it pretended it was sperm and then fertilized its own copy. Oh, wow. Another thing, after producing uh, some offspring parthenogenically, the one Komodo dragon sun guy went on to produce a normal clutch of eggs with a male named Raja. So the researchers also concluded that parthenogenesis is not a fixed reproductive trait that lasts forever in the Komodo dragons. You can go back and forth. So uh, in fact, the findings suggest that this is probably a form of reproductive plasticity. It's the ability to switch between sexual reproduction and asexual reproduction when mates are not available. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, you can see why this would be a tremendous survival advantage. Uh, I mean, in particular, when you have a, a case where a, f a female is not exposed to males at all for yeah. an extended period of time and yet is capable of producing viable eggs, like – if there's no male around, this, this, this show still has to start one way or another. Yeah. Now, there are some reasons you might think that there are genetic drawbacks to that. In fact, the authors write that there is a downside to this discovery. Quote, Parthenogenesis presents a previously unrecognized problem for the genetic management of threatened populations. Why would this be? Well, in captive breeding programs designed to help Komodo dragons build their numbers back up, Females are often kept isolated from males, and males are only brought in occasionally for the obvious reason. There are good reasons to do it like this. Like sometimes these animals are aggressive toward one another, and you don't want them unnecessarily fighting or injuring one another, you know, that kind of thing. But this means that if you keep females in all female environments with no mates, they may spontaneously give birth to parthenogens. Now, what's wrong with that? Why wouldn't that just help increase their numbers even more? Well, it doesn't quite work like that. The problem is 
parthenogenesis reduces the fitness of the Komodo dragon gene pool, the authors write, quote, A pressing concern with parthenogenesis is instantaneous homozygosity of the entire genome, as this inbreeding carries an associated risk of reduced fitness and an increased probability of extinction. Uh, And then there's another problem with the parthenogenesis, and it's that it biases the sex ratio of the offspring. Mm. Uh, The authors write, quote, In Varana species, females have dissimilar chromosomes, Z and W, sort of like human chromosomes, sex chromosomes, X and Y, uh, continuing with their quote, Whereas the combination ZZ produces males, so the parthenogenic mechanism can produce only homozygous ZZ or WW individuals and therefore no females. So the parthenogenesis in the Komodo dragons, because of the way their sex cells work, they can only make male offspring. Uh, It's sort of the opposite of the way like human sex chromosomes work, that males have an XY uh, chromosome and females uh, in humans have an XX chromosome. Mm-hmm. In in the dragons, it's the other way around. The males have the uh, the the same two sex chromosomes, and the females have the two different sex chromosomes. If you can only make a duplicate copy, you can only make new male dragons. Yeah, and this is important to keep in mind as we move forward because we're going to see, um, you know, the, the, the exact uh, uh, chromosomal situation is going to play into what kind of offspring are produced uh, by a given species' uh, propensity for parthenogenesis. Yes. So back to that question about whether this is uh, this is useful in the wild, it does seem like it's probably an adaptation, right? For the reason you mentioned earlier, assume a wild female Komodo dragon finds herself isolated on an island environment. Maybe she gets washed up somewhere after a storm. Mm-hmm. She could help her genes survive by parthenogenically producing a clutch of males with which to mate and establish a new colony. Uh, Genetically, this is not ideal, but it's better than nothing. Right. But it's not good for the dragon populations uh, that are, you know, trying to be sustained right now for the females to be laying clutches exclusively of essentially inbred males. This may be better than nothing in the wild when there are no males present, like we said, but it actually interferes with the breeding programs that conservationists are using to help, uh, like, replenish the species. So this leads to the idea that, hey, maybe we should be careful about keeping female dragons in isolation in captivity because when there's no male around, this can happen, and it's not actually what's best for the species if we can help it. Yeah, that's fascinating because it's easy to just on the surface of things think, yeah, go way to go, Komodo dragons. Just reproduce whether there's a male around or not. But Well, it is better than nothing mm-hmm. probably. I mean if there literally is no male to reproduce with, this makes sense to do. But the problem is in these cases it's not actually that there's no male. It's just there's no male right now. Right. And by the way, it, it does appear that other female Komodo dragons in captivity have shown this same uh, same phenomenon Uh, Since the initial batch of observations, for example, it was reported in 2008 that healthy male dragons hatched at the Sedgwick County Zoo in Wichita, Kansas from a female who had not mated with a male. But Komodo dragons are certainly not the only reptiles that exhibit parthenogenesis. Some lizards are even obligate parthenogens. You mentioned earlier the ones that have no choice. Like the hybrid New Mexico whiptail lizard, uh, this is an all-female species and there's no sexual reproduction whatsoever. Or, well, actually what is true is that there is no sexual fertilization. Ah. There, uh, because in fact these lizards have been observed to perform a series of same-sex female courtship and mating rituals, the biological function of which is an interesting subject that we could return to in the future. 
Uh, and I guess it's just a reminder that even in the animal world, uh, the fact that you don't have to have sexual fertilization doesn't mean that there's not sexual behavior. All right. On that note, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll get into another reptilian species that exhibits virgin birth. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting, uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use this directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices... Well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. 
Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. All right, we're back. So we've been talking about Komodo dragons. We mentioned lizards, reptiles that exhibit parthenogenesis. Snakes are another great source of examples of uh, parthenogenesis. There is at least one species of snake called Indotyphlops brahminus, also known as the Brahmini blind snake, which appears to be an obligate parthenogen. It's a burrowing blind snake, uh, so you'll find it you know, down underneath the soil and rotten wood and leaf litter and stuff like that. It's found naturally in parts of Africa and Asia, though it has been introduced in other places. And as far as we know, all members of this species are female and they reproduce completely without sex. However, uh, plenty of other snake species have been shown to exhibit facultative parthenogenesis like the Komodo dragons. It appears to be some kind of adaptation. Now, apparently for a while, this had only been observed in captive snakes that were living in, you know, in tanks or in zoos or Mm -hmm. something like that. So uh, it was believed to be some sort of captive syndrome. But more recently, it appears that facultative parthenogenesis has been observed in wild snakes, sometimes even when males are present. Uh, Just to cite one example by uh, Booth, Smith, Eskridge, Haas, Mendelssohn, and Schutt, uh, facultative parthenogenesis discovered in wild vertebrates in biology letters in 2012. These researchers used, quote, microsatellite DNA genotyping and litter characteristics uh, to determine that there was evidence of facultative parthenogenesis in snakes in the wild in populations of wild North American pit viper snakes like the copperhead and the cottonmouth. Oh, wow. So the world uh, may may yet be full of asexually reproducing copperhead queens. Well, that's amazing. Now we've uh, so far we've talked about uh, two different reptile species. It's uh, I think it's time to move on to the birds. Okay, and not just any bird, but a bird that uh, we've discussed a fair amount on stuff to blow your mind. Especially given that we've never devoted and have we devoted an entire episode to them before? Did we do an episode on the turkey? No, I think we've mostly talked about turkeys in the context of Benjamin Franklin electrocuting them. Yes. Yeah, I think that's the main reason they keep coming up. Though that's come up more than once. Yeah. Well, uh, we're bringing up turkeys again because uh, parthenogenesis has been observed in several bird species, uh, though it usually results in non-viable embryos that never become uh, adults. And uh, the turkey is one one of them. Uh, reports of turkeys exhibiting uh, virgin births, these began to roll in, especially in the 1800s, and it received a fair amount of attention in the decades to follow. Breeders were particularly interested because 
potential pitfalls aside, and we've discussed what those those are regarding uh, uh, you know stagnant gene pools and all. Uh, the idea they really like the idea of one prize turkey creating another prize turkey without muddying the genetics. What a horror! Yeah, but you know we're we're talking about the poultry industry here, right? Yeah. So the shadowy mechanical priests of poultry science. Yes. So according to studies in the 70s and 90s in particular, uh, 32 to 49 percent of infertile eggs may initiate development, but most embryos die at an early stage. Uh, Parthenogenesis has also been observed in domestic hens, Chinese painted quails, and the zebra finch. For the turkey, however, it's only going to result in a viable offspring in extreme situations. Uh, And when it does result in an actual hatchling, the turkey is always male due to sex chromosome dominance. Mm -hmm. Now, I I was looking around for some more information about this, and I, I, I realized, well, the best place to look is probably the world of, uh, of of agricultural sciences and animal sciences. And indeed, I found a wonderful overview of this from Thomas F. Savage, Ph.D., professor and head advisor uh, at the Department of Animal Sciences, Oregon State University in Corvallis. And uh, he points out that, that parthenogenesis in turkeys, it all comes down to environmental and genetic factors. Mm-hmm. So first of all, the environmental factors that he out- outlines here. Uh, age. He says there's a higher rate in younger hens. And then then there's also a viral uh, uh, influence here. Mm -hmm. There's an increased occurrence in turkey hens exposed to certain diseases such as Newcastle disease, fowl pox, etc. Also, it can be affected by what you're feeding them. There are uh, certain additives used to enhance reproductive efficiency that can stimulate parthenogenic development, uh, specifically uh, the yeast culture uh, Saccharomyces cerevisiae. And then also inactivated or irradiated sperm. In experiments, uh, they found that uh, if if they had this irradiated sperm, it was unable to contribute genetically, but it could uh, lead to a higher rate of parthenogenesis. Oh, because it could like um, stimulate the egg to start dividing, but it wouldn't actually provide genetic material. Yeah, that's my understanding of it. Uh, Also, temperature even. Elevated pre-incubation egg storage temperatures can play play a role. And in all these, you know, again, we're talking about increasing the the likelihood of it occurring, Mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily like a a trigger switch, exactly. And then there are genetic uh, aspects as well. Uh, uh, Some genetic strains just have a predisposition for it, and you can actually increase the chances via genetic selection. And this was proved out in a 1965 study uh, by this guy Olson, who uh, when you look at... Um, He's the turkey parthenogenesis guy. Yeah, he is. It's like it's, you look at who has done research about it and it'll be, you know, uh, uh, various names and then like like 20-something different uh, uh, search results for this Olson guy. All right, so that's turkeys, and uh, and I imagine some of you out there listening to this podcast have some experience with turkeys or at least hens. Um, Maybe you can write in and tell us, give us your take on uh, parthenogenesis in the turkey world. Now, not to downplay the dangers of turkeys, but I think we should go to a little bit of uh, wilder territory. Yes. Can you give me a thrill ride, Robert? Yeah, let's talk about uh, parthenogenesis in sharks. Okay. And also we'll get into rays a little bit. Uh, this is actually – I believe this is a topic that uh, that Mara Hart um, – 
who wrote Sex and the Sea, touched on a little bit when she appeared on the program in the past. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm certainly going to cite her book, Sex and the Sea, because it is a tremendous book about uh, the wild world of reproduction in in, uh, Earth's oceans. But uh, yes, as as it happens, sharks have been observed to engage in uh, facultative parthenogenesis. It's uh, it's not obligatory, and it creates offspring genetically distinct from the mother or sibling species. So these are not outright clones. Uh, This was first observed in sharks back in 2007 uh, when uh, a study by Chapman et al. conducted tests on bonnet head sharks born in captivity. Um, The female in in this uh, scenario had been isolated from males for more than three years, and and it turned out that they were able to produce without any male DNA. Also in 2007, uh, Chapman and his team found evidence of parthenogenesis in female blacktip sharks, these in captivity for nine years without access to males. And uh, a female blacktip, what happened is it died in captivity with a near-term embryo inside it. Mm. Zebra sharks and white spotted shark shark cases have also been confirmed. Uh, And uh, Chapman and his uh, team have also found genetic evidence for hammerhead virgin birth as well. So the ability seems like it might be uh, pretty common, actually, from big sharks to little sharks, from egg layers to live birthers. But does it happen in the wild, uh, or is it just something that occurs in captivity? We, this is, in this, we're encountering a similar situation that we have with uh, the study of Komodo dragons. Like, is this, mm-hmm. is this something that is actually occurring in the wild? And if so, how can we study it? It's actually pretty hard to study in the wild, though, because to do so, you really need to look at the DNA of of the mother. You need to look at the DNA of the offspring. And the thing about shark, uh, the world of shark parents, is that they're pretty much uh, donezo after the the birth. You know, the mm-hmm. the, the, the the parents are not going to hang around and look after the, the the baby sharks. Not big into nurturing, right? Yeah. Now, Chapman and other researchers, they have found uh, examples of uh, of parthenogenesis in the critically endangered small-toothed sawfish, which is threatened by overfishing and the loss of mangrove habitats. Now, it's technically a ray. It's not a shark, but it winds up in shark fin soup a lot, according to Mara J. Hart in her book, uh, Sex and the Sea. Uh, this, uh, this creature's population has declined, she says, more than 95% since the uh, 1960s. Now, Meanwhile, uh, we have uh, Dr. Jim Gelsleichter, who has conducted tests using an ultrasound wand, <laughs> which, uh, which he, descri- he himself describes as looking like a Ghostbusters proton pack. Uh-huh. It's a pretty expensive piece of, of, of equipment, but, the, but that's how they can bring it out into the field because it's quite a production they have to go through here. They have to, ke- they have to catch the ray, they have to keep it by the, by the side of the boat, and then they have to uh, uh, you know, use the wand on it uh, to see uh, what's going on inside it. Um, what do they find with that wand? Well, the thing is that they have confirmed uh, parthenogenesis. Uh-huh. Now, uh, it's, uh, there are a couple of th- things I should note here. One is that investigations uh, regarding sharks and rays, they can be complicated for the same reason uh, that uh, this, like the Komodo dragon uh, situation is complicated uh, in that uh, you have to ask yourself, well, are they storing sperm from a previous encounter? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that can sometimes be the case with sharks and rays. Um, but uh, in the case of the sawfish, this is an example where this amazing adaptation could prove vital in helping them bounce back from the brink of extinction uh, while new protections are in place. Because they're at a point now where, again, they are threatened by uh, by overfishing and habitat loss, but certain legal protections have, have been put in place. And so parthenogenesis could be the tool that helps them reach a sustainable level while those protections are in place. 
However, over the generations, it's you know likely going to uh, you know ne- negatively impact the species' hopes for survival as well. So again, it's that that similar scenario with the Komodo dragons. It's better than nothing, but it is also potentially genetically devastating. So the reasons would be what that it limits genetic diversity. Essentially, it's similar to inbreeding, right? And that it produces sex bias in the offspring. In this case, they would be almost always female offspring. Yes, I believe so. The I mean, but think of it. It would just be it would be terrible, wouldn't it? Your your species bounces back from the brink of uh, of of extermination, mm-hmm. and you're able to do so via this miraculous virgin birth. But then uh, some sort of disease just wipes all of you out because you lack the genetic diversity to survive it. Yeah. And this is actually outside of the world of parthenogenesis. This is something that is encountered too in efforts to restore certain species to the wild. Yeah. Like if a population becomes uh, too shallow then you know, you're not going to have the genetic diversity to really um, uh, have, a, uh, have as a robust uh, a genetic presence for the species. Yeah, but when you're, when you're that low as a species, you're, uh, you're in a tough situation anyway. So uh, best of luck to the parthenogens. All right. Well, on that note, we're going to take one more break. When we come back, we're going to ask the question, what about parthenogenesis in mammals? Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed a hundred thousand miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. 
no estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, we're back. So we've been discussing parthenogenesis in sharks, in reptiles, in birds. Uh, one thing that is certainly true is that you're going to find way fewer examples of this in mammals. In fact, if what I've read is correct, there are no known wild examples of parthenogenesis in mammals. There, right. there, there have been examples that have been induced under synthetic lab conditions, but we've never found an example out in the world. That's correct. That's that's what I was finding as well. Um, the really the only uh, mammalian examples that we run across are ones in human created uh, myths and legends and religious stories. Yeah. So I was reading uh, an article titled "Parthenogenesis: Birth of a New Lineage or Reproductive Accident" by Casper <laughs> J. Vanderkoo from the University of Groningen and Tanja Schwander. And this was published in Current Biology in 2015. And the authors, they make an interesting choice, uh, an entertaining choice in directly approaching the birth of Jesus Christ. Oh, no. Yeah. That's Be- a dangerous move in a I biology know. paper. I was, I was hesitant to incorporate too much uh, nativity story into this episode. But then the scientists did it. So I, I can only uh, you know, follow them. And in fact, I want to read a quote from this paper. Okay. Quote, this reference to parthenogenesis, and by this reference they're referring to the the nativity story, is unusual in two ways. First, it is the only account of quote-unquote natural parthenogenesis in a mammal. (laughs) Mammals are believed to be completely unable to to reproduce via parthenogenesis because of a number of developmental and genetic constraints. Second, while the Blessed Virgin Mary might have been able to conceive a daughter via parthenogenesis, the conception of a son is highly unlikely. As male sex in humans is determined by genes on the Y chromosome, Mary, as a woman, could not have transmitted any Y chromosomes to her offspring. In contrast to humans, parthenogenetic production of sons is expected in species with other types of sex determination. Uh, Yeah, so that's dealing with the opposite of the Komodo dragons issue we talked about earlier. Right. 
Now, I have to say, it, uh, I can't help but think of uh, certain late medieval uh, traditions of, uh, in which Christ is illustrated or described in terms of feminine qualities. <laughs> um, and, and this is you know based in the idea that it's you know to an expression of the feminine characteristics of Christ's nature and mm-hmm. of course has nothing to do with genetics or even any sort of uh, egalitarian ideal uh but yet uh I can't help but think about that and when we're thinking about well uh yes Mary could have genetically speaking uh had uh this virgin offspring but it would have had to have been a female now i assume that they are just having a little bit of fun with the subject oh, they're, yes. they're not like trying to say, how can we explain the story of Jesus' birth? Let's try to go to the science of parthenogenesis. I feel it's kind of like uh, in the same way that we talked about uh, papers about hemorrhoids, they feel they they just have to mention the uh, the 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 Ark of the Covenant just because you can get a little bit of Bible flavoring in there. Right. It's kind of hard to resist incorporating this the story of uh, the birth of uh, the Christ Child into your paper on uh, genetics and uh, parthenogenesis. Yes, I can certainly imagine that temptation. But so so they're not actually saying this story is a historical record, and we're going to explain how it happened biologically. Right. Correct. Um, so, the, the, you know, they point out a lot of what we've been talking about already, that male-producing parthenogenesis is rare, female-producing parthenogenesis is widespread and mostly obligate, uh, though only a few examples in vertebrates, and there are n- no examples among mammals. And then there's this whole issue with the female or the, or the male offspring. They say that accidental parthenogenesis is the method that can produce male offspring due to the way that uh, chromosomes come together, uh, but that, quote, the developmental and genetic constraints in humans and other mammals would most likely prevent the emergence of adaptive parthenogenesis in natural populations. Well, I do think it's interesting they say most likely. I wonder exactly how unlikely it is. So could mm-hmm. parthenogenesis in in mammals like humans, is that essentially impossible or just so unlikely we wouldn't expect to see it? Well, true. And then also the question is, like, what kind of time frame are we talking about? Are we talking yeah. about tomorrow or next year or 100 years from now, or are we looking at a, at a, at a longer history for our species? Right. Wouldn't um, expect to see it over a population of X number. Right. Uh, but then again, uh, it, it's, we're going beyond mere humans here, right? We're talking about mammals in general. Yeah. And so if we have no examples from the mammalian world – uh, that, that that have presented themselves or have survived to present themselves uh, to scientists today, then it does it does make you wonder. I don't know how many mammals other than humans could there be. What you got <laughs> dogs, you got rats. Uh, that's about it, isn't there? <laughs> well, all the, all the bat species. So, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you have a considerable number of species to consider here. But yeah, if there if none of them are presenting an example of parthenogenesis, then uh, I don't know. It seems like a pretty safe bet. Mm-hmm. All right, so there you have it, parthenogenesis, virgin birth, uh, a little bit of holiday flair thrown in there. Uh, and I think just the, the big take-home is that, uh, as always, when we're looking at something that is miraculous to humans, take it out to the animal world, and uh, generally you're going to find that it's actually no big deal. <laughs> there's, there's much weirder stuff going on and plenty of, ex- of examples of virgin birth going on, uh, certainly in the invertebrate world, but mm. then also in the vertebrate world as well. It tends to remain the case that no myth, no magical story, no monster movie, no sci-fi special can come up with anything as weird as nature. All right. So, hey, as always, if you want to check out more episodes of Stuff to Blow Your Mind, head on over to stufftoblowyourmind.com. That is our website. That is where you will find 
all of the episodes. You'll find links out to our social media accounts. You'll find a, a tab for our store where you can go check out some cool designs, get them on stickers, shirts, etc. It's a cool way to support the show. And if you want to support the show in a way that doesn't cost you any money, simply uh, rate and review us wherever you have the power to do so. And hey, check out Invention. Invention is the new podcast that we've launched. If you like stuff to blow your mind, you're going to love Invention as well. It uh, publishes Every Monday, and in each episode, uh, Joe and I look at a different invention, a different uh, revolution in in uh, in technology, where it came from, how it came about, and how it's changed the world forever. Uh, you can find that wherever you get your podcasts. If you search for uh, invention uh, invention podcast, you put in our names. You might you might want to throw in something like our names, or throw in iHeart Media, etc., iHeart uh, Radio, and see if that helps uh, the search results. But you can also find everything about it at Invention Podcast. Big thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producers, Alex Williams and Tari Harrison. If you would like to get in touch with us directly with feedback on this episode or any other, to let us know uh, a topic you'd like us to cover in the future, or just to say hi, you can email us at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with with Zumo Play.